This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. There's a lot to rejoice about today. Um, if you've never dealt with United States immigration, um, we went through the green card process for my wife. My, we're, my wife is not American, and so we know a little bit about that process. And for it to happen like this is absolutely miraculous. And I am rejoicing. I truly am rejoicing with, uh, with this wonderful family. Um, we do have to, have to depart this afternoon. I apologize for that. Uh, we would love nothing more than just to get to be here with you uh, the next 36 hours or so. It's been such a joy to be with each and every one of you. I have been so enriched by your worship, by the way you have responded to the word, and just by the interactions we've had. I wish I could have sat at a table with each one of you and had a conversation, and I'm so sorry we didn't get to do that, but what a delight to be with God's people from around the world and around this Asia-Pacific region. Uh, we are so excited for what God is doing, and uh, thank you for letting us be a part. We have a very important thing we have to be back for. My kids have a uh, school Christmas play that they are singing and doing sign language in. And if I'm here and I miss that, sorry, I love you, but they are more important than you. <laughs> Hallelujah. Speaking of which, I have my own prayer request. So we are leaving Singapore tonight and we have a 45 minute connection in Seoul, in Incheon. Could you just pray that we get there early or the plane leaves a little bit late going to America and so we can make that? I would very much like to make that connection. Um, if I'm going to be stuck somewhere, I'd rather be stuck here than in, in Seoul. So I feel like miracles are already flowing. Logistical miracles are happening. So while, while, that, while that pool, that water is being moved, I'm just going to make that request. Uh, pray with us. And I, we do... Thank you for so many. Thank you for praying over us. Um, the Lees are just a gift to the body of Christ. And this leadership team that they've developed, and, and just thank you for allowing us to have a small part, a voice in this meeting. And I believe that God has big plans for what is happening locally in Singapore. I believe that what you are developing, what you are preparing, uh, brother and sister, pastor and sister Cargando, thank you for allowing us to be a part. Uh, what you're doing here locally, I believe, has import around the world. And I believe God is going to open doors for the technology and the digital content that you're creating to have a global platform to be able to bless the apostolic movement in the, seven, in the four corners of this world, the seven continents, I want to see that happen. And I want us to partner together to make sure that that happens. Amen. Uh, to all of our friends from around the world, uh, the Showstrands, the, the Aussie contingent, uh, the, the Malaysian brothers and sisters, it's good to see a few of you still here today. I know you have camp meetings starting today. Um, to my brother... From Sierra Leone in West Africa, uh, I didn't get to meet everybody from all the other countries, but God bless you. Thank you for allowing us to be a part of what God is doing. I have something I feel to share. Uh, 
And uh, it, it's kind of a, I'll just tell you, it, it, I'm just going to, I'm going to do what I feel in the Holy Ghost. And uh, whatever you do with it is your business uh, and God's business. But I, I do feel to share something with you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 to 10, you, you're familiar with this. And uh, thank you so much. Here, my, I'm in your way. Let me move over. There we go. 2 Corinthians 12, chapter, chapter 12, verses 7, 8, 9, and 10. Uh, I'll read from here. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn. Everybody say thorn. Say it with a smile. Thorn. In the flesh. A messenger of Satan, hallelujah, to buffet me, not buffet me, but to buffet me. I do that to myself. Lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord three times that it might depart from me. Three times. The Apostle Paul, the mighty man of God who wrote half the New Testament, prayed three times about this. And nothing happened. Hallelujah. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Everybody say weakness. Most gladly, therefore, that's why you say thorn with a smile. Most gladly, therefore, I will glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessity, in persecution, in distress. Hallelujah. I don't, I don't think you agree with the Apostle Paul. For when I am weak, then I am made strong. Hallelujah. I hope, you, uh, I hope you like what I have to say today, but if you don't, it's in the Bible, so you need to work on reasonable uh, again, Lord, I thank you for your presence that's in this room. I just pray for utterance in the Holy Ghost. I pray for us to be able to communicate concepts from your word, but also that your spirit would communicate something to us today that would be a take home and a take away. Lord, that would enable us to live changed lives. I bind anything that was not in alignment with your will and your word, and I command it to be gone in the name of Jesus. I pray you would direct our attention and be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to talk about glorious thorns. Glorious thorns. Hallelujah. No smile. There's not very many smiles in the congregation today. For some reason, when I say thorns, it... you've heard it, you've read it, you... there are even songs about it. Sister Showstrand, the, the thorn in the flesh, the blessing in the thorn, the thorn in the flesh of the Apostle Paul, a messenger of Satan sent to buffet me, to beat me up. Paul doesn't identify it. Some say it was a person. Don't look around. Some say it was an inner conflict. Some say that it was sickness. I've read some commentators who believe that it was a group of people, more than just one, who would go around everywhere Paul would preach and would seek to destroy what he was doing and what God was doing through him. I, that, that sounds pretty convincing to me. I've heard others that take very different tone about it, but 
When we look at the list of weaknesses that he talks about in the context of the thorn, God only knows what it actually was. Now, you can have strong opinions, and that's fine, but you don't know what the thorn was. Let's just agree on that. The Bible does not identify the thorn. Infirmities, reproaches, weaknesses, insults, necessities, persecutions, and distresses. It may have even been a combination and a mix of all of those things. It could just be the circumstances of life. The truth is, whatever your opinion is, the identity of the thorn is unclear. But what is certainly clear to us this morning through the Word is that the Apostle Paul understood the purpose of the thorn. He came to understand, and th th this terminology that he uses is remarkable. He's, because listen what he says. He says, lest I should be exalted above measure, there was given to me a thorn. Now, the thorn as a gift is a revelatory concept. He didn't say I had to endure this. He didn't. He said there was given to me a thorn in the flesh to, to help me. What a strange, strange idea. Now, I'm certain that there are apostles in this room. But most of us don't have a lot in common with the Apostle Paul. Most of us probably would not be able to say what we share in common with him. But there is one particular demographic designation that every person in this room shares with the Apostle and also every other person in the world. It transcends time. It transcends Pay at place. It, it, it includes every person in the world. I hope you're ready for what I'm about to share with you because you're going to be so excited when you hear what I have to share with you. This international transcending thing that we share as humanity, the universal demographic designation is weakness. Wah, wah. Weakness. No one ran the aisles when I said that. Most of you didn't even smile. But if I was to ask everyone that struggles with something, please stand, don't stand. But if I was to ask that, every honest person in this room would stand. Hallelujah. And the rest of you would feel pressured and you would stand also. If I were to ask everybody who has moments of failing strength, please raise your hand. Don't. Thank you for the honesty all the way in the back. Every honest person in the room would raise their hand. If I were to go into greater detail and canvas those who feel insufficient. Yeah. Those who feel ill-equipped and unprepared and unready for what faces you when you leave DCD and you go home. Whew. Those who quietly question the wisdom of heaven and placing you in that place where you are, doing that thing you're doing and being called to this 21st century culture. Those of you who woke up to your own faults and are faced with your own failures and encumbered by your own lack. Those who are weary of weakness in your own situation. I think I covered everybody. 
Weakness is the universal designation. You can argue with it. You can despise it. You can not like it. You can avoid it. You can not want to talk about it. But at the end of the day, to be human is to be weak. To be human is to be weak. We have this treasure Not in vessels of gold or silver, not in titanium, not in uh, stainless steel, but we have this great eternal treasure in earthen, dirt-based vessels. Hallelujah. From the beginning, there has been this problem. And I assure you, I have no intention of having a depressive episode with you today. We're not going to leave this place depressed because the thorn is glorious and we're going to get there in just a little bit. I don't want you to wallow in self-pity over your weakness. I can already feel some of you, my goodness, he's going to preach about how weak we are and you're going to, you're going to tell yourself how awful you are and you're going, to, you're going to castigate yourself and say how horrible you are. Or maybe you're looking across the room. <laughs> Oh, that's a different message for a different day. I need longer to deal with that one than to deal with the person who beats themselves up. From the beginning, the taproot of human weakness has been sin. The, the root cause has been sin. Now, now, let me be careful and tell you, I'm not saying that every current weakness that you are, every current struggle you have is tied to sin. That is not what I'm saying. I'm not saying, what I'm saying is we live in a fallen world and we are fallen humanity, though filled with the Spirit and endued with power from on high. When you wake up in the morning, you are still human. The ancient origin of weakness is that problem of sin because our bodies were not originally designed to be automated to die. Adam and Eve could have lived forever, I believe, in the garden. But something sin, when sin entered into the world, sickness, debilitating diseases, weariness, tiredness, fatigue, the issues of the mind, the body, and the soul are all encompassed in that penalty of sin. It's not just one little thing. It changed everything. And so all of the issues of life today, if you were to do a a genealogy or a family history of hurt, every hurt, if you look at the father and the father and the father and the lolo and the lolo, you would find that it goes back to Adam and sin. The genealogy of pain, the genealogy of suffering goes all the way back to Eden. And so that's what I mean when I say that our weaknesses are, 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 are found and connected with sin. But Romans chapter 5 and verse 6, this is what the apostle writes to the Roman church about this note. And this is what he said. He says, for when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, some of you are acting and clapping like you have been godly your entire life and that that scripture does not apply to you. Some of you are acting like your file in heaven is really, you don't hardly have anything you've ever done wrong. Christ died for the ungodly. Christ, you know... 
Christ did not die for you seeing you as the best you would ever be. He died for you when you were the lowest of the low, when you had fallen the farthest you would ever fail, when you had endured the things and done the things that you are ashamed of and that you don't want anybody to know about. That's the point where Christ died for you. Jesus didn't lay down his life for perfect people. I'm sorry. He laid down his life for people who are imperfect. The blood of Calvary that was shed was not with the intention of only covering the brightest, the best, the smartest, the most holy. No, he died to make the weak strong. He died to make the ungodly holy. He died to make the dead live again. I tell you, it's possible for us to become so professionally Pentecostal that we think we were sanctified from when we came out of the womb. But can I just tell you, I don't care how much you talk in tongues right now, every person in this room has issues and has a past and has things you don't want anybody to know about. And you better rejoice because he loved you even in that moment. He cared for you even in that lowest place. Hallelujah! Not only did he see you, not only did he endure the mocking of your actions and, 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 and what you did, but he saw you and he loved you and he gave his life for you at that point with absolutely no guarantee that you would ever be anything different than your lowest. The entire story of the Word of God is not about divine interaction with perfect people. It is about divine interaction and divine perfection reaching into the darkest, the lowest, the dingiest, the dirtiest of humanity and coming and redeeming and restoring and reconstituting and rebuilding and repairing and bringing newness where there was failure. Oh, praise the name of Jesus. He was victorious. The power of the cross is still at work. You, you are trophies of grace in this place today. You, you, are, you are heaven's trophy of what God can do and what His power can accomplish. If you're here today, you're wondering whether your failure is final. Let me tell you, it doesn't have to be. If you're here and you're wondering if, if the price that you paid for your past mistakes is going to be too much, let me tell you, Jesus changes lives. He changes lives. I, I just feel to speak a word of faith to somebody who is struggling in this room right now with the mistakes of your past. You come into places like this and you feel the presence of the Lord and you rejoice, but the moment that leaves or that high comes down, you deal with condemnation, you deal with, with regret about what you've done in the past, and you may even be dealing with consequences of the past. You're weak. Praise God. You're weak. Hallelujah. You're weak. His strength is made perfect in weakness. 1 Corinthians 1, 23. I'm going to try to go very quickly. This is a lot of scripture. But we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, a stumbling block. To the Greeks, foolishness. 
But unto them which are called, both Jew and Greek, it's Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom. Everybody say, the power and the wisdom. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the, weak, oh, the weakness of God is stronger than men. Now, now, Paul gets up in their grill. Did we still say that? We said that when I was younger. He's like face to face right here. He talks to the church. He says, now, brethren, you see in your calling. He's not talking about the world. He's talking about us. He's pointing a finger. He says, not many wise. Sorry. Not many wise. Not many mighty. Not many noble are called. <laughs> but, but, but. But God has chosen. Now, there's this thing here that doesn't show up. There's this thing that doesn't show up. In the English, it says God has chosen the foolish. Take me to the next one, 27. God has chosen the foolish things or the weak things. Can I tell you that word things is not present in the original language. That is an added on to help understand. So literally what he's saying, he's talking to the church and he says, God has chosen the foolish of the world to confound the wise. God has chosen the weak of the world to confound the things which are mighty, the base things of the world, things which are despised has God. God chosen. Base, despised, unworthy, messed up, destructive, not wise, uh, weak, those things. And then he says this, and those which are not to bring to nothing those things which are, that no flesh should glory in his presence, but of him you are in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. I stand before you today to boldly dec declare that the wisdom, the foresight, and the foreknowledge of God is not frustrated or messed up by your current situation or your past failure. In fact, God knew the power of God is not frustrated by your pitiful lack of prowess. He's not messed up by how you can't do things. In fact, the Bible Bible says he has chosen the things that are not in order to bring to nothing the things that are. Can I just tell you what that means? God knew what you weren't. God knew. You say, well, I can't do this, 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 and this. God knew not just your good qualities, not just your abilities, but he knew your disabilities when he called you. He uses what you are not as much as he uses what you are. Now, let me just tell you, I got a lot of stuff that I am not. I'm not really smart. I'm not really good looking. I'm not really wealthy. Keep going down that list. There's a whole list of what I am not, and that does not frustrate God. He says, you know what? I know what you're not as much as I know what you. Somebody needs to hear me in this room. You don't have to leave this place condemned by what you're not and how you failed. I tell you in the Holy Ghost, he knew what you were, and he knew what you weren't when he called you into this glorious, powerful experience with him. He knows what you're not. You try to hide it. 
I don't know if I'll get where I really want to go today, but we try to hide a bunch of stuff and we think we got to do it just so we can save face. And so we'll have a reputation. Can I just tell you, God knows who you are when nobody else sees you. God knows what you struggle with when nobody else is aware. God knows what you spend money and time and effort on that you don't want anybody else to know about. And in the wonder of weakness is this. It is the weakness of humanity that creates the margin and the space for the power of God to overshadow your identity and overshadow what you are and overshadow what you can do. It is of him, through him, and to him that are all things. Hmm. I might get a little excited this morning. The simple message is that your frail humanity does not exclude you from the miraculous manifestation of the glory of God. In fact, it is quite the opposite. It is your failure, your weakness, your thorn that makes way for the overarching, overshadowing glory of Almighty God to be demonstrated and manifested in the world. Paul asked God three times, remove it, remove it, remove it. Here's the answer. My grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. If you don't hear anything I say, hear this. The clearest atmospheric conditions for the strength of God to be made known are in the weakness of human infirmity and lack, and yes, even pain. If God was to take away everything that you're not, to erase everything that you have done that you don't want anybody, if God was to make us perfect in every way according to a divine standard, there would be no room for the glory of God to be made known in the earth because flesh would be all sufficient. You better thank God every day for the thorn that you have to deal with. You better thank God every day for weakness. You better thank God every day because it is the weakness that creates a space. Hallelujah. Why don't we lift our hands to the Lord right now? Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. I love the Lord. God, I love your people. Lord, I love your presence. Lord, I love what people are and what people aren't. I love your all-sufficient grace. I love your presence that touches us. Hallelujah. 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 So Paul goes into this amazing discussion and he, he almost passes it by nonchalantly. And he says, I've got a thorn. Okay. You know, it's interesting. He didn't just say I have a battle. He, he, Paul's pretty intentional with words. He's very, very intentional with words. Um, 
there's a spot in Galatians where he points back to the promises that God made to Abraham. And he says, if you'll notice, my dear friends, God made the promise to a singular seed, not seeds, plural. That's how much words matter in the Bible. It, it, singular or plural make a big difference in the promise of God. So, so I have to believe if he pointed that out, that, that his choice of thorn is also equally significant. He didn't say, I've got somebody fighting me. He didn't you know. He said, I've got a thorn. So, so I, I, you know, I just have this thing where I, I want to see what the Bible says about stuff. So I went back <laughs> and you know what? It's amazing. Thorns first show up in the garden. Thorns are a direct result of the failure of man. God curses after Adam's sin. God curses the serpent, God curses Eve, and God curses Adam. He says, you're going to work, sweat of your brow. And then he curses the ground. He, he, he says, from out of the ground is going to come something that will harm you and hurt you. Now, what's interesting is also, what was Adam made out of? Adam's made out of the dust of the ground. So it, it could easily be said that Adam... That thing that constitutes you, that thing that you are made up of, is going to begin producing things that will be difficult to deal with. Can I just tell you a lot of what we deal with is not the devil? Can I tell you that one of the greatest limiting factors of the church has nothing to do with demonic oppression or demonic opposition? Can I tell you from where I'm beginning to sit over the next few months, I can tell you that flesh takes a greater, makes more problems, un, unrepented, un, untaken care of flesh. That dusty stuff that we're made up of produces more thorns than any demon has ever produced for the church. So that, that thing that you're made up of, Adam, is going to start producing stuff that is going to be difficult for you to deal with. Your very makeup will produce thorns. The thing that, that is you <laughs> is going to produce thorns. Most of us struggle the most with self. This is my opinion. You don't have to agree with me, but I believe the greatest limita limitations of the church and the kingdom of God are flesh. They're not the devil because he is a defeated enemy. You can cast out a devil anytime you want. I have never been in a situation where a devil manifested and we knew he was there that we did not see victory. Now, I've been in situations where I knew he was there, but it wasn't manifest, and I felt something, but it wasn't manifest. But any time it has ever been manifested, I have seen it cast out every single time. Satan is defeated. We have authority over demons. We have authority over the darkness of this world. You can't cast out flesh. Every pastor has had a desire to do that once or twice at least, but you can't cast out flesh. There are some thorns that you're just going to have to deal with and work through. And as long as we are here in this world, there will be thorns. Numbers 33 is the next time we find thorns mentioned. And he says, unconquered Canaanites will be like thorns in the side of God's people. 
Can I just tell you, if you don't conquer things in the promised land that God's brought you into, if you don't take care of them at the very onset, they will become thorns. I'm going to go back again and say if we ignore stuff, it doesn't just go away. If we ignore spiritual opposition, it doesn't just go away. We have to deal with it because otherwise unconquered Canaanites will become thorns in the sides of God's people. Thorns take many different shapes, take many different uh, results. But what about the result of thorns? <sighs> Temptation. Thorns make you want to quit. Thorns make you doubt. Thorns make you question, God, if I'm doing what's right, then why does this hurt? God, why am I facing this? If, if I'm doing what's right, if I, I, it almost sounds like, like the Apostle Paul, the things that I would do, I don't do, and the things that I don't want to do, I do. He's describing this thorny process of living. Thorns bring temptation to sin because when... It hurts. I want relief. And there is pleasure in sin for a season. We don't like that scripture very much. But it's in there for a reason. There's pleasure in it. Even if it's momentary, it releases, it releases that, that feeling. It releases that pressure. When you're hurting, you want relief, and sin will provide temporary relief. There's a temptation to walk away when things are hurting, when there's thorns involved. You want to abandon the position without a fight just to escape the thorniness of what you're dealing with. Let me just stop here and say, if you were born of a woman in this world, you have experienced thorns. If you're human, and, and I, I think everybody here is. You know what it is for circumstances to be against you. You know what it is to have unfair situations in your life. You know what it is to deal with stuff that's not your fault. Many in this room know what it is to have things done to you that were not your fault and you had no choice over the matter. That can be anything from abuse to situations where things changed and you felt hopeless and you felt without any recourse. We're all just flesh. We're all just fallen humanity. We are all just enduring the same thorny issues. We all have struggles that would seek to define who we are if we allow them to. We have struggles and pain and failures that would deter us. You could make a list of thorns in your life and there would be some names of people there. You could make a list of thorns and then there'd be some personality quirks that would be there. You could make a list of thorns and there'd be some unconquered Canaanite spirits. That, that, that you would deal with. But, but let me just tell you, do not be amazed or wonder that you have thorns. Do not be downtrodden or cast down over that because the amazing thing is this, and I, when, it's shocking because when I talk about thorns, we get really depressed. Like the whole thing comes down. Oh, failure. Depression. Oh. That is not the tone 
of the Apostle Paul's letter. There is nothing depressive or cast down about Paul's writing about thorns. When I look at the tone of what Paul says, it is not a tone of defeat, but it is a tone of glory. It's connecting the dots. It's saying, yes, I'm convinced that the sufferings of this present world are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed. I'm convinced that the thing that I'm dealing with, nothing has happened to me but such as is common to man. And there is something happening on the other side that's working in me a far more exceeding weight of glory. How does glory come into this conversation? After all the failure and all the sin and and all this recognition that yes, I've got issues. Here's what he said, "Most, most gladly therefore I will glory in my weaknesses. 2 Corinthians 12 and 9, He said unto me, My grace is sufficient for my strength. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather glory in my infirmities. I will take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecution, and in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am made strong. Glory means not just to recognize it exists. Glory means to boast about it. To allow it to be known. Glory does not mean concealing failure or concealing the thorn. Glory means that Paul went around and let everybody know what his issues were and what he was struggling with. Now, some of you really don't like what I just said. He says, I take pleasure in them. What in the world are you talking about, Pablo? Or if you're from Easter Pavel or, you know, Palo, whatever. What do you mean you glory in your weakness? You boast about them. You, you vaunt them and flaunt them and you take pleasure. You are well pleased in all of the distresses and the persecution and the pain and the heartache. You're, you're shouting over these things. Why? Why? Because the glory of the thorn comes from the fact that when I'm hurting and when I'm down and when I'm weak, I have every right in the world, humanly speaking, to say, you know what? I'm withdrawing and I can't do this anymore. But Paul made a choice where in which spirit chose to override the will of the flesh and where the will of of the spirit said, I will worship even when I am weak. I will choose the glory of God and I will choose to trust him. Job said this, even if he slays me, still I will trust him. There is a weightiness measure, hear me, there is a weightiness measure of worship and the weaker you are and the more downtrodden you are, the more your worship has weight because you're choosing to deny the flesh and the lust thereof and you are engaging with the spirit of God in a way that says, yeah, I'm hurting, yeah, I'm dealing with all this stuff. The Lord gives and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. 
You have every right to be frustrated in the flesh. You have every right to be angry and grieve over loss. But you also have the option over here to say, you know what? Yes, the loss is real. Yes, I've dealt with a lot of stuff in my life. Yes, I have failures from my past. But I will worship and I will glory the one who is the ultimate in overcoming power and in overcoming authority. There's no God like our God. There's no king like our king. He is not frustrated. He is not put out by the issues that plague humanity, but he engages with the weakness of men to accomplish a work that is above and beyond anything a person could create. Thorns produce a dependency on God. Thorns make you run away from self-sufficiency and run into the all-sufficient arms of grace. The world does not need you at your best because your human best can't change anybody or anything. In fact, you can't even change yourself. The world does not need you at your best. The world does not need a showcase of your talents. The world does not need an airbrushed facade of what you are on your best moments. The world needs to see the reality of humanity that is touched by the hand of the divine and produces glory in a way. Paul directly connects. I know I'm, I'm probably going to be, i got three minutes. Paul directly connects the thorn to pride and arrogance. Love you. Buckle up. Because that's where we're going. He directly, this is not Adam, this is Paul. Paul says, so that I would not be exalted above measure. There was given to me a thorn. I have a powerfully anointed friend who studies the word and he said this. He's, it's been a while now, but it was revelatory to me because it's something I've struggled with. There's, how about for, there's exposure. He said, Adam, pride is either self-promoting or self-preserving. Now, we like pride. We like preaching about pride when it's against, you know, don't promote yourself. Be humble. Right? You can get with that. You can say amen to that. You know, and you look around, you have a list of people. Oh, they need to be listening to this. Mm-hmm. Preach on, preacher. You think of people back home. Yeah but I am so humble. I am so. Can I just get real for a minute? The issue in Pentecost is far more often pride, not of self-promotion, but of self-preservation. Now let me unpack that for just a moment. What do you mean pride seeks to self-preserve? Here's what happens. Well, I, I'm not good at that and I'm not comfortable with that. So God, I'm not going to do that. I'm shy. 
So I won't say, I won't do, I won't be because it doesn't fit with my human personality. It makes me uncomfortable when the Spirit asks me to do this, 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 and this. Now, I will lead worship on a Sunday and I will dance and shout, but if I'm asked to teach a Bible study or if I'm asked to witness to somebody of another culture, Well, it's just not who I am. I, 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 you know, I am just not that kind of person who is bold to go and speak. I'm sorry. Pride is either self-promoting, and we like preaching about that, or it is self-preserving. But both are forms of pride. Pride leads me to value my own opinion, my own feeling, my own relief from the thorn above the command and the commission that God has given to me. I, here's what self-promote, self-preserving pride looks like. I avoid obeying the voice of the Lord and His Word to do things that are uncomfortable or that might result in my own humiliation. Because my reputation is more important than my responsibility to obey the word of the Lord unreservedly. God, deliver me. You know what thorns do? Thorns are not meant to shut us down. Thorns are not meant to be an excuse that exempts us from following God. But thorns are meant to be the thing that says, you know what, I can't do it on my own anyway. So I'm not good enough and I'm not strong enough. But I've got a God who is big enough and great enough and powerful enough. I've not lived a perfect life. Let me tell you about what I've done. But somewhere along the line, I found grace and I found love and I found mercy from a God. Hallelujah. Sometimes you got to be honest and expose your weakness before God. Monday night I talked about the lady in 1 Kings chapter 17. The man of God comes to her. Says, bring me bread. You know what would happen to some of us if we were in that same situation? I love you. Remember, I love you. I'm leaving today, but I love you. Man of God comes, says, hey... I know you're poor. I know you're a single mom. I know you don't have any money. You don't have two sticks to rub together. You're going to go die. Make me a cake first. Huh. You know what some of us would say? We would say, well, man of God, um, I'm so sorry. I would love to help you. We have plans today, and we will not be able to get the cake for you, but have a good day. Because you need a facade of politeness and you need a facade of respectability. And you don't want to be embarrassed by revealing your pitiful situation. She would have never experienced the miracle if she had been dishonest or had had self-respectability as a greater value than what she actually needed. We need a dose of honesty in our lives, brothers and sisters. Because some of us live and die on bravado of I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I, I, you can. That's absolutely the word of God. But that does not take away from the fact that you've got a bunch of thorns in your life and you've got a bunch of holes in your clothes and you've got a bunch of issues in your house and in your mind that everybody deals with. You've got to not hide those things. It is when we reveal those things and we are open with them, number one, that they can be healed. 
I, I got to quit. But can I just tell you something? I believe God can heal every mental issue and every emotional issue that has ever been perpetrated on any person in time. But, 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 I have very rarely seen God heal something that people were not willing to bring to the light and exposure. In a perfect world, we want God to heal all of our hurts and we want to maintain our air and our facade of respectability. We don't any, want anybody to know about our business and we just want the Holy Ghost to magically take care of all the issues we have inside without us having to be transparent or honest or open up about ourselves. Can I just tell you, there's healing in this room for people that have been hurt, but you got to take a step and say, be honest enough to say, you know what? Yeah, I got some thorns, some stuff. I've got some baggage that I carry with me. Can you help me pray about this? You got to be willing to recognize weakness and be open about it. You got to be willing to say, God, I don't have it all together. I got a bunch of stuff I'm dealing with, but I believe you're greater than the thorn and you can bring glory out of even what hurts me. You can bring glory out of the thing that damages me. I got a whole bunch more to say, but I'm not going to say it. I'm going to close with this. I continued looking for thorns until I got to the New Testament. And I find Jesus, who is the apex of humanity, God and perfection made known. King of kings and Lord of lords. There's only one time where I find him treated royally, and it was in jest. It was in condemnation. They bring a robe. Hail the King of the Jews. But what is the crown of a perfect man? What do you, what, what, somebody who's perfect, somebody who's an overcomer, somebody who is everything that God wants them to be. What do you do when you come to a need for a crown for that person? Gold? Nah. Silver? No. Thorns. Thorns. God said, you know what? At the hands of evil Romans... I will cause them to take the very symbol of sin, failure, and the destruction of my plan. And I will make those Latin-speaking Roman soldiers form a crown of thorns from the very thing that whispers condemnation to every human who's ever lived since Adam. And I will have them put it on the head of the only perfect man who ever... Can I just tell you, 
what you don't want anybody to know about and what you don't want anybody to see could be the very thing that would be the overcoming crown in your life that would whisper and shout to the world, look how wonderful he is. Hail the king of glory. Hail the king of glory. Oh, come on, somebody lift your voice. Lift your voice and lift your hands to heaven. You need to embrace the thorns in life. You need to let them push you towards the presence of God. You need to become transparent with somebody in your life. You need to let them know what's going on. Not so that they can feel bad for you, but so that the glory of God can be sufficient for you in your life. In your weakness, my strength is made perfect. This altar is open. You can stay where you are. You can stand to your feet, whatever you feel to do. I just think we need to call on the name that is above every name. We need to have some open and honest conversations with God about what's going on in our lives. Thus saith the Lord, hear my words. I have sent a broken man to speak to you of brokenness. I am not ashamed of you. I cherish you. I see what you hide. I know what you are. Have I not made you? And can I not use you? You are mine. I have placed my name on you. I have washed you when no one cared for you. I have swaddled you. I have sung over you. I have spoken words of healing and life and blessing and no one can take you out of my hand. You are mine. From the day of your birth, I called you and chose you. Do not call unclean what I have cleansed. Do not despise what I have raised up. For you sit with me in heavenly places. I have brought you to this place for my glory. You are mine. You are mine. You are mine. You are my inheritance. My treasure. My glory. I have waited for you and am preparing a place for you. Lift your hands to me and worship me. I know you by name. Come on, let's give God praise all over this place. Shall we just stand? Give Him the praise and the honor. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, let's give Him praise. Let's give Him honor. Shall we just stand one more time? We don't need no music. We don't need no fancy instrument. He is worthy and worthy to be praised. Hallelujah. Come on, just give him praise for a little bit more. Come on, let's give him praise. Let's love him. Hallelujah. 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 H
Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Amen. I said this many times in prayer. If I was God, I won't choose me. Amen. I say this again. If I were God, I would not choose me. I say this not to bring attention to myself. Please don't listen. I want to help you. I'm the greatest goof up in my life. I hurt my parents. I hurt this church. And those of you that were younger times, you know the pain that I brought the church. Had a hard time forgiving myself. But because of what the Lord has done, I will serve anywhere. I don't want to be the pastor. I just want to be in His presence. I'm saying this to help some of you that have disqualified yourself when God never disqualified you. I don't understand. I'm not the most educated. In fact, I'm the least educated in my office. But I take that and worship God. I take that and give Him the glory. Come on, everybody say praise God. Amen. So let's not disqualify ourselves into the presence of God because His grace. I say again, His grace is sufficient. I say again, His grace is sufficient. Come on, just lift our hands one more time. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You know, come to think of it, I just sat there in amazement, you know. All I wanted to be was never to be a preacher, a worshipper. That's what I want to be. Just want to worship God. As you worship God, He will bring you to high places. Amen. That's the truth. Amen. So again, don't disqualify yourself. Turn to your neighbor and say, don't disqualify yourself.